Welcome to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Dominique DePrima in for Tammy Mack. In a country where the conversation about race has brought a lot of talk about white privilege, there is now a new focus on something called black privilege. Some folks think that's a thing. Especially in conservative circles, the term black privilege has been getting a lot of play as a counterbalance to what they feel are overly uh, emphasized conversations around white privilege. So is black privilege really a thing? Let's talk about it. I'm so happy to bring in our incredible panel. Please welcome uh, people expert, Dr. Sabrina. Hi. <laughs> uh, Washington University in St. Louis, uh, history professor, Dr. Douglas Flo. Thank you for having me again. We also have John Miller. He's a conservative journalist and a commentator. Great to be here. And author and relationship expert, Van Brown. Thank you for having me. What a great panel. We should get some very different kinds of insights. Um, I, let's do a quick round robin here. Does black privilege exist in America? And you know you got to start conservative on this question, John Miller. <laughs> Of course it exists. I mean, it's about time that Blacks need to get our act together. We've got the entire country basically bending over backwards for us saying, what do you want? We'll do it for you, just tell us. And instead we're saying we're victimized, that we can't get it together. And we, especially after the George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, you have companies that are firing, firing white employees who aren't woke enough. You have employees that are in that, that they are literally employing programs to get more diversity. There are scholarships out there. There are programs that are reaching out to blacks and saying, we'll hire you. You don't even have to be as qualified. You don't even have to have the credentials. All you have to do is kind of be able to do the job. And we'll say, here's the job. And for some reason, we're still out there saying, no, we can't get hired. No, we're victims. No, they're discriminating against us. And we, it's time to stop mm. making excuses and it's time to start just taking advantage of the fact that the mood of the country right now is on black side. Okay, if we, we can't do get it together, a that's on check us. in here, but I guess we kind of got off to the races and that's fine. <laughs> I don't know where these companies are that are firing people and hiring unqualified oh, black people, I, I but I certainly everywhere. know the talking point and the mythology. Um, I've lived everywhere from the deep south okay, all the well, way up to Vermont. New York to Los Angeles, everywhere I've lived, every mm -hmm. company, especially the big corporations are out there saying, here okay. are programs. Well, I've got a list. These all are right. all the You know what? We'll, we'll have more time to talk about this. I want to let other people. All the people... that are saying, we'll hire we... you if you're black. You don't have to okay. we'll Can you money. play nice in the sandbox, Dr. Uh, Mr. Miller? And I will too. How about that? Of course. Uh, let's get a countering uh, counterbalance here. Dr. Flo, how do you see it? Um, well, you know, I think some of the things that you're talking about are um, things that individuals do, right? I mean, there are there are always cases where an individual might take, um, you know, some aspect of their identity, which in the case that you're talking about is victimhood, and, and use it or weaponize it in some way that someone can be critical of, right? And so I think there are, there are instances where certain things happen. Some of the things that you just mentioned may actually be happening, but they're, you know, I don't know if they if they represent some wave of what we would call black privilege, one, especially not one 
that would rival to any extent what we generally call white privilege, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit in a little while. Um, but I think some of the things you're talking about are, are things that are happening in individual instances here and there. And you mentioned um, there's a movement um, for black people in the country, the country is on the side of black people. I don't know if I would say that for sure. I mean, there, there's definitely some ways in which representationally we've seen some advances and that's very positive, that's great. And, and that can lead us somewhere in, in the future. But I would say that we're still dealing with some massive issues of inequality, whether it's in health outcomes or financial outcomes, educational outcomes, um, mortality, et cetera, um, that are still that are that are still, you know, in, in need of, rep of reparation and repair. Mm. Well, um, Van Brown, you're you're looking at this from maybe the relationship expert side and the, many of yes. these things are relational. How do you see it? Yes, thank you so much for having me. This is a very important topic. Um, we have to look at it from the perspective of perspective becomes your reality. Uh, so let's look at it this way. We have, we know how white America, et cetera, conservative view the images of black people is really de being depicted horribly in the news and et cetera. Here's the stereotypes and et cetera. But we fail to negate that whether the eyeballs are on you for a negative reason or a positive reason, you still are a walking billboard. Now, what you get to do with that billboard is on you. You still have a responsibility. I agree with what the, the gentleman said about victimization. There is a degree of victimization of self-perception and how we're victim. Because if I'm a victimized, it prevents me from moving forward and acquiring the things that I want. I have to be my greatest advocate. So my perception is going to be, yes, there is black privilege. Every eyeball is on this dark skin color. So I don't need a billboard because I am the billboard. Now what I decide to speak will determine the access and everything that I receive going forward. So I think we have a great opportunity this is the time right now for the speakers to speak, for the teachers to teach, because the eyeballs are really on us, whether it's negative or positive, we get to determine if it's positive or negative. As long as you're not shut down by state laws against critical race theory or laws against hurting people's feelings, I guess that could work out uh, pretty well. Um, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Sabrina, um, you know, I, and, and we probably should have started with this, so we'll circle around to it. But first, Dr. Sabrina, weigh in. How do you see this? Is there such a thing as Black privilege? Is this another um, conservative talking point? Or, or is it even really like a straw man argument? Well, I just think that when we talk about entitlement, entitlement speaks to what is due you, what you have the authority to do, what you have the permission to do, and what you have ownership to do. And so... Uh, Caucasians have had historically the privilege and the right to be able to do whatever they wanted to do. Whereas as African-Americans, Blacks, however you want to call us, we have not had that in the past. And so whether we consider it being a victim or it's your truth, your truth is your reality. And so because I am a dark-skinned woman who has a dark-skinned son, I had to teach him how to navigate the world in the dark skin. And that wasn't a privileged place. I told him once he started driving, you are going to be driving while black and driving while black means you will 
not you might get pulled over. And so I had to teach my son the realities of navigating the streets and places where he, he lives and occupies. And it's not a privilege. It is not something that is a good thing to have to talk about. It is something that I had to teach him so he could stay alive and get to be 29 years old. Mm. So what is the definition of privilege? Uh, according to our producers here, the dictionary, it's an advantage that is unearned, exclusive, and socially conferred, meaning it is given to you by society, not something that you have earned. Uh, one article goes so far as to say that this thing called Black privilege um, extends beyond the borders of the United States. I, I would say, I would add that when you talk about Black privilege, everything that everyone's talked about for the most part so far has been towards the individual. But when we talk about privilege, we're talking about the impact of systemic racism. So if Black people are constantly denied loans, if Black people don't uh, get the same um, you know, benefit of the doubt from police officers, uh, so they're more likely to be killed. Those things are in the system. So it, it's not a privilege that's conferred by, you know, one person to another, but by a society to a group of individuals. And I don't think we've really addressed that. So maybe we can look at that as we talk about whether or not so-called black privilege extends beyond the borders of the United States of America. And, uh, you know, I guess for that, we better start with history. Um, so let's go with Dr. Flo. If black privilege extends beyond the borders of, of America? Yeah, assuming that it exists at all, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I, would, if I would say that or if I would answer that question. I mean, first of all, we have to establish whether or not I think there is black privilege. Mm -hmm. um, and I think to address that subject, we have to understand what people mean when they say white privilege. And you know, white privilege is just the fact that white Americans have racially and theoretically had the opportunity to take advantage of the things that the country provides, the freedoms that the country provides as part of their experience of the country since the founding of the country, which is simply not the case for people of color and definitely not for African-Americans. And this is not to say that white people don't also face hardships. White people have faced hardships that deal with class and gender and all different types of spatial and financial inequalities. But the term white privilege which may or may not be the best term, and I, I actually think that there might be some better way to describe it, is meant mm -hmm. to recognize the comparative differences in the experience of groups in America according to race. Privilege is a comparative term, or it's, um, you know, one, one person can have privilege in comparison to another person. So some people consider programs like affirmative action or conversations that privilege or prioritize a history of racial inequality to be black privilege, and um, you could call those things black privilege if you wanted to, but I don't believe that they are. I think that instead they're more about trying to uh, create balance where there has not been balance historically. Mm. I'm sure John Miller and others have a lot to say about what Dr. Flo just said, and we will touch on that when we continue Business of Being Black. I'm Dominique DePrima in for Tammy Mack on Fox Soul TV. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Dominique DePrima in for Tammy Mack. And we are talking about 
Black privilege, does it exist? Is it a real life thing? And the conversation is already quite lively. Uh, we started talking about whether it goes beyond the borders of the United States, uh, this thing called black privilege, which some of, some of us are very skeptical, is even a thing. And um, I wanted to make sure that the whole panel got to weigh in. So let's go right to you, uh, John Miller, conservative commentator and journalist. Yeah, well, you, we were talking about the individual and you kind of extended it more to the group. And I'd ask when mobs of black people go and burn down cities after George Floyd's death, with basically no repercussions. They were basically able to just completely raise Minneapolis to the ground, go into stores, take whatever they wanted from those stores and absolutely just get away with it versus a bunch of Trump supporters who went into the Capitol, a lot of whom were peaceful. There were obviously some who were not and are rotting behind bars right now. Who in that case would you say has the privilege? Is it the blacks who were basically able to commit crimes and set up cities on fire? Or was it the people who were able to go into the Capitol and then now they're basically been, and been sitting in prisons for months. Yeah, I, mean, so if, I, think, if that was, I think if that was fact-based, it would be right. I mean, the we fact is quite a few African-American protesters did do serious jail time and most of them were peaceful. We did find out they that many were, they were, not were agitators. And they in, were not in, mostly people. And you also, yes, brought up, you also brought up the issue of absolutely. police violence and the fact that blacks are being killed by police more than whites is simply factually inaccurate twice as many whites, and most of them were unarmed, were killed by um, police in okay, 2021 than blacks. Got it. But that's actually really a tricky really kind white. of manipulation because there are more white people in the country. So obviously more but black people commit far more If you go by percentage of, of the population, the black crime. people are killed at a much higher rate. That's so let's simply not, not accurate. Okay, That's let's allow, actually it is accurate, but let's allow the, the rest of the panel to weigh in. Um, Beyond the borders of the United States, um, is there such a thing as black privilege? And if you see that, how does it manifest, Van Brown? Yes, <laughs> this is a very lively debate. <laughs> um, yes, I, I, I do think there is a privilege beyond the borders, because think about it. We've been known to be great in athletics, uh, as musicians, as um, in all of those different genres. And so, Anytime there's an opportunity for athletics, whether you're in America or outside of America, they would automatically look at this skin to be better. And we have to understand what privilege is. It's simply an, an assumed conception of whether it's internally or socially. So we assume that this color is going to be better at jumping and basketball and et cetera because of naturally what we've seen visually. We is that a privilege or a stereotype? It's a it's a privilege. Well, they're kind of like one in the same because the privilege is <laughs> a privilege is is an assumption held by a group of people that we kind of judge this uh, category of people with. So the privilege means something that grants you access to something or gives you something. It's not just an assumption. I mean, yeah, but black people. Yeah, with that assumption, we are granted access into arenas, let's say athletic wise. We tend to go to school more on athletic scholarship than and you and you view that as a in terms you view that of as being black privilege. Okay. Yes, yes, it's somewhat of a privilege, but is there <laughs> is there equality in, 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 in terms of white privilege versus black privilege? No. But there are some certain privileges that we 
are assumed and there's a, a, a society that agreed upon more than the other. Is it anywhere equal? No, it's not. That's why I always say that if I want something, I have to be my greatest advocate in order to get it. So I have to assume I have that privilege. Whatever it takes for me to empower me to get that thing, it has to be a self-ownership mastery. Well, that's where- Black excellence, not Black privilege. And, and we know there's plenty of that. Uh, Sabrina, jump in. <laughs> well, I just wanted to say, as we talk about Beyond the Borders, I remember in April of 2013, one of the richest women on the planet, Oprah, went into a store in Rome and was denied the opportunity to spend her own money. And she had the money because of the color of her skin. And so that is still an issue. And so as much as we like to gloss over, as much as we like to say, oh, we have money, oh, we have uh, these rights, certain places that you walk up to still would not allow you the privilege to go in and have the opportunity to benefit from that thing because of the color of your skin. I, and I keep saying it, I happen to navigate the world with all this pretty melanin. I like it. I, I think I'm absolutely stunningly gorgeous, but I've had had derogatory things said to me, even this past weekend when I was at Martha's Vineyard, summering on the vineyard, that is a reality. And that is still not a privilege that we don't have as a group of people. So when we talk about Black privilege, how can Black privilege coexist with uh, Black oppression and the widespread systemic racism? How can those coexist at the same place at the same time, Mr. Miller? What systemic racism? That's the question I'd ask. Doesn't exist. I understand, and I'm not in denial that it has existed in the past. Obviously, Blacks were slaves. But at this point, what systemic racism? I mean, when you have when did it when did it disappear, you, uh, Mr. Miller? When did when did systemic sometime racism? Sometime before I was born, because I've never experienced it. When you have people, when you have, for instance, a congresswoman <laughs> who is as dumb as bricks like Maxine Waters, who is able to rise through the ranks with all of the and everyone Excuse on Excuse me, panel, but Maxine Waters is the chair of the financial services committee. And, and something I seriously doubt who you knows could how do that, or any that, of us that, on this panel could do. It takes quite a serious how, intellect. That floors me how she did that. When you have her, when you have a junior senator like Barack Obama. He does Obama, it every who, week. Who, who is basically... You have a number of people who are undeserving of their positions because society has made it easier. You look, someone had mentioned and brought up affirmative action. That is literally colleges saying we are going to lower the standards for blacks. We are going that's to take actually down- that's not quite how it works. But let's we get another. Going, let's get a okay. Let's get away in from someone else, Mr. Miller, Dr. Douglas Flo. Um, how do systemic racism and black privilege coexist? Yeah, um, so I'll just say first, I don't really think that it's appropriate to call Maxine Waters dumb as bricks, but really? that's, you know, I, that's another conversation. Yes, well, it's um, also incorrect. She's it's brilliant. Incorrect. Um, so I think, I think that you know, I can understand some of the points um, that, that are being made. And I feel like if you were to arrive on planet Earth right now and see some of these things happening, it would be easy to see those things as overrepresentation of Black culture. But if you take the whole history into account, then I think some things become more clear. My, my parents were both born in 1954 into a world that outright and legally limited many aspects of their lives because of race. And this didn't even begin to change until the 1964 Civil Rights Act uh, when they were both 10 years old. And I was born 15 years later. 
right? And so you, you can't tell me that their lives and therefore my life, you know, all of our lives were not affected by the fallout and the continued legacy of some of the things that were going on up until the end of what we think of as Jim Crow and then continued into the war on drugs and continues into, into the present where some of the inequalities still exist. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, we're not just talking about, you know, it seems like slavery happened so long ago, you know, no one alive owned slaves, that's true, right? It happened, it ended 157 years ago, but the legacy of something so enormous doesn't just simply evaporate overnight, and especially not in a country that did so much to hold on to that legacy right. all the way up until my parents were 10 years old. Right. Uh, I just don't, I don't, you know, it's, this is, you know, I understand some of the points that are being made and you see, you can see some of those things as being representative of over-representation of African-Americans in certain fields or in certain places, in sports or, you know, affirmative action. But it, we're still talking about a place that has not gotten over the legacy of slavery in a way that has created equal opportunity for everyone that, that we're, you know, we all, I hope, want. Right. Yeah, it seems like a long time ago, but how long ago can it be? I have a picture of my great great grandmother, Adelphia, who was born enslaved and actually was freed as a teenager. It's not that long ago if I can have a picture sitting on my bureau of my enslaved ancestor. Let, let, let me this jump in here. A, no, let, let we'll, jump. we'll jump in on the other side here. Um, we are talking about the idea of black privilege and we've got it going on. It's business of being black with Tammy Mack on Fox Soul TV. And we are back. Business of being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Dominique DePrima, obviously. I'm in for Tammy Mack. We're talking about this idea, which has become very popularized in conservative circles of Black privilege. Is it a thing? Does it even exist? And how can it coexist with systemic racism. Uh, that's where we were when we left off. And I know, uh, John Miller, you wanted to jump in. I also want to make sure we get a chance to allow uh, Van Brown to weigh in on this as well. Sure, I'll be quick. I just wanted to say, I mean, isn't it incredible that you can have a picture of your ancestor, Adelphia, and yet here you are on television, and here we are discussing this topic with the freedom that we do and the ability to say what we want as we do. And we have you, uh, you were, someone brought up Oprah and Oprah is the success, success story. She might be the most powerful woman in America. I mean, I know these are exceptions to the rule, but isn't it incredible that we have these opportunities and that you still know that you can trace your lineage back to someone who was literally in chains? I mean, the, the See, idea but to me, black... that is black excellence, black resilience, not black privilege. No. But no. Um, Mr. Brown, go ahead. I, I agree with you that it's that it is black excellence. It's thriving in spite of. But we have to acknowledge that because of the the horror of slavery and Jim Crow, etc. There are it's not a lot, but there is a minority of white people who are in positions of power who overextend in order to make sure the playing field is even. It's not a lot, but there are some that are thriving, that are on our sides, that are willing to say there was a serious injustice done here. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that we try our best to right a, a, a serious wrong. And so when I talk of I guess it's a matter of perspective on what you think privilege is. Because I, I do believe, I truly do believe that 
it may not be the privilege that whites have, but there is a privilege. There is a there's an innocence. There's a, a like you said, the resiliency about it. So when people see us, they said, "Oh, this person is going to do excellent simply because of they perceive this color." When it's demonstrated to be, they may not say it, but I'm telling you, they perceive this color to be one of excellence in the way we do things. So there is a privilege there. It may not be wildly accepted and talked about like it should be, but when we step up to the plate, there is an assumption that, okay, we're going to pick this color because this color does well in, in more cases than not. Van Brown is betting on black. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. John Miller, you said something about, um, you know, that police kill more white people than black people, which is true if you look at the sheer numbers, but not at all if you look at the percentages. So I guess the question is, as a black man in America, albeit a conservative, are you saying that us being killed in these numbers, all of the kinds of mistreatment, um, systemic racism and such is outweighed by this perceived uh coddling or privilege that you perceive we have, that somehow we are more coddled and more treated than mistreated? Well, I think, I mean, we could quibble on the numbers all day, but you know, the numbers that I have, and I have numbers from the Washington Post, there's actually not great numbers, but The Guardian tried to put the numbers together. And the numbers that they came up with showed that uh, from it, it, just for 2016 alone, the number of unarmed blacks killed by the police was 266, unarmed whites was 574. When you, you had mentioned yourself that blacks make up a far smaller percentage of the population, and yet they commit a lot more crime, almost 50% of violent crime in America. And yet the number of whites killed by blacks in 2016. Where are you getting those numbers from? Because that's, that's from the Guardian. I, I have found I no credible. I have found from no the Washington credible. Post, so I'm no. hardly looking You're at, talking you about know, arrests. I'm not looking yes. at. At, at right wing, you know, nut conspiracy websites. I mean, this is the Guardian and the Washington well, Post. Well, yeah, those those so, numbers don't match any credible numbers of crime. But okay. And, and when ahead. you have when you have stores that are saying, you know, we're we're just not going to prosecute. We're not. It's not worth it. It's not safe for us. So come into our stores and steal. Where are from these us. stores? These stores are in the mall. You got an incident in Sephora <laughs> recently. Every Sephora, time those people of, are arrested, they are going under the jail. Sephora. They just scooped everything up. Okay. They scooped everything up. They walked out the store and the people in the store said, you know what? We're not going to do anything. Uh, you combine I, that. I think that's not quite right. But OK, so if clearly in your opinion, we are more coddled. So in your opinion, black privilege, we're, we're Trump's. Yeah. Uh, Trump, black and oppression, and systemic and racism. I understand, as our guest mentioned, that that you know it could be part of it is an overcorrection, right? It's an overcorrection. Uh, there's no overcorrection. That's just a talking point. Uh, but I mean, I understand the perception of an overcorrection. That's where you get we will not be replaced. But let's get some other perspectives here, Dr. Sabrina. Are we are we treated more than mistreated? I, I think that we are mistreated across the board because I know. I have two examples. I have a very good friend who has a multi-million dollar environmental co um, company, and she was not able to go in and get a signature loan, whereas her assistant, who happened to be white, was able to go into the bank and get a signature loan. Don't have nowhere near as much money, don't have nowhere near the credit score, but because of the skin color difference, that was a difference. Then I have another friend who is very high up in a corporate position, 
has over 800 credit score. But every time that he's trying to purchase property, because of the color of his skin, he's given much more difficulty in approving those loans, even though he has the money, even though he has the credit score. So we still have these issues based on the color of our skin in these places that give us the right and have access to where we live, where we play, things of that nature. Well, I think it's also worth pointing out that perception is really different from the actual data. If you look at the data, discrimination in home loans, the discrimination in appraisal rates, uh, these things persist in education. Dr. Flo, are we more pampered or are we more um, oppressed? I think a lot of the, the, the um, you know, um, instances that are coming up in this conversation, um, yeah, sometimes there are some imbalances because people are concerned about how it might look if they say or do certain things in terms of race. Um, but I think a lot of this is anecdotal. I don't think it really represents what's happening across the board for African-Americans. I don't think it really represents a major enough trend to say that there is a phenomenon called Black privilege. Um, and then also, I was going to say, and I was thinking about something that uh, Van Brown was saying, um, that there are, that maybe it would be better to take the word privilege out of these conversations, right? When you tell a white person who lives in a trailer park that, they're, that they have white privilege, it's very easy for them to make an argument that they don't have white privilege. Right. And, um, you know, the word, the word is associated for us with um, wealth and easy living, and it's really easy to, to argue against that. Um, there are a lot of white people who would not say they are privileged, but who nevertheless are dealing with what I would say is probably the absence of Black disadvantage, <laughs> right? Um, the, 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 black, the people that we're talking about who have Black privilege are still subject to Black disadvantage. Um, so I don't, I mean, again, I, I hear some of these stories and I, and I, you know, if we were to have a longer conversation about this, there might be some points in which I would say, yeah, I think that that's unjust or this shouldn't happen that way. Or if someone does X, Y, or Z, then they should have to pay the consequences. But does that represent Black privilege or, is the, or, or are those just anecdotes that, you know, that might kind of be, be useful in an argument, but not actually represent a trend? Right. Right. So um, Van Brown, talk to me about that. I mean, so many times what we're doing is we're going based on a perception, which is a personal interaction or a story that we heard from John Miller or whatever it was. Right. So, um, so how do you come to these conclusions? It's totally correct because we have to understand that someone is informing us. There is an inherent bias that we have. So we look for information that is going to soothe the things that we want to be right. Now, the thing is, do I want to be right or do I simply want the truth? That There's a, a distinction. Do I want to be right or do I want to hear the truth? Um, Maxine Waters is not ignorant by anyone's standard, okay? So let's, let's, let's just throw that out of the way. She's an extreme intelligent woman. You don't get to be in those places uh, simply by, okay, because you're Black. This is what's going to happen. Hold that thought, Mr. Brown. We're going to continue this conversation, whether we're right or we're telling the truth on Black <laughs> Soul TV. <laughs> Welcome to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. And we are blackity, blackity, black today <laughs> as we are talking about this idea of black privilege. Does it exist? If it does, how does it show up and what does it really mean? So mm. does does having so-called black privilege, which is something, you know, I don't think is a thing, but okay, mm. 
for the sake of argument, say, let's say that it is a thing. If you have privilege, um, mm. and, and uh, Dr. Flo, I know you were you know, making a point. I want to let you finish that also. But if you have Black privilege, does that mean that you also can oppress another group? Um, if you are oppressed, can you still be an oppressor, I guess? Mm. Yeah, and that's a really interesting question that is at the foundation of this conversation. Um, I think definitely, and this is why I keep saying that individuals um, or groups of individuals can, uh, you know, I mean, the fact that you might be uh, someone who's considered a victim doesn't mean that you're perfect, that you're infallible, right? So groups of individuals who have been victimized or who have been oppressed can, if they're, you know, anytime you're wielding any sort of power, it, you can use it in a way that could affect someone else negatively. And, and, you know, like I said before, if we were to have a much longer conversation about this, um, we mm. have this conversation in some of my classes, in some academic conversations, we can definitely see instances where someone, where a person who is considered a victim, not just in America, throughout human history, can wield some power, power that is associated with their victimhood in some way that could be possibly unethical. And so there are some instances that have come up today where you might be able to say, yeah, I could see that being an issue. I can see that being a problem. Again, is that something that is a general phenomenon or is it an individual or on a, on a micro, micro scale phenomenon? And I would say that it's more micro than macro. So this question about, um, you know, it really reminds me of the conversations about reverse racism, which again, I don't think is a thing, but many people do. And so I'll, I'll bring this to you, John Miller, because I'm pretty sure we agree to disagree on this. Um, some folks say that there shouldn't be a Black History Month, because if we have a white history month, that's considered white supremacist, a racist. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, I wrote an article a couple of years ago about how we need to end Black History Month for that exact reason. Because if Blacks get their own history month, I mean, we, we, we just finished the LGBT month, LGBTQ month or whatever. Right. Uh, we, we, we have Women's Month in March. We have Black Month in February. The only people who don't get their month is white people. And it's like, okay, so if we're going to do this game where every, every group in America gets their own little month, then uh, I would I, I feel like white people should feel entitled to their own month. And but you say reverse. John, some some people would argue, and I'm one of those people, that every month is White History Month. That our that our history books are Eurocentric. That we center white privilege, white beauty, white standards in everything that we do. So they don't need a special month when they are. It's White History Year. I don't know anyone in school who didn't learn about slavery, who didn't learn about emancipation, who didn't learn about Jim Crow, who didn't. But, learn but that's about not the totality rights. of our history. That's our enslavement. No, yeah. but CRT may, wants to make that the entirety of our history. They want to make it the totality of our history. But I don't know anyone who they're making it seem like we didn't learn about these things Got and it. that history centered around dead white men. I don't know any history course that doesn't teach those things in the proper perspective. So this mm. idea that history in. is built around white people is an absolute myth. Well, no, I'm and only talking about U.S. To discriminate history. against white people in America. Got it. Dr. Sabrina, do you agree with John Miller? We should eliminate Black History Month, Latino History Month, Pride Month, Women's History Month, and just, you know, go back to the when America well, was what great again. What's so <laughs> important is that what you said, that all of our history we have heard all about the, the good and the bad that the perspective of our majority culture has. I think it's so important that when we do black history, we don't just talk about 
the, the negative places and spaces that we've occupied, but the things that we've done to overcome, the things that we talked about to be resilient, the things that we need to understand so that we can step into our excellence and our things. And if you're not getting that on an ongoing basis, yes, you absolutely need a time to give that to your people. And I, and I just think that as we have all men on this panel, because I have a son and I have asked my white counterparts have you ever had to tell your white son how to drive and to make sure that you come home safe? Do you give them a tutorial on what to do if you're pulled over by the police? They don't even understand what that means. And because we still have to do that today, we still have a cultural continuum that there's our issues that we have to prepare our young black men for. I, I don't see the, the space and place for entitlement. Okay, we're gonna do this kind of quick because I wanna make sure we have time for our lightning round. But Van Brown, uh, imagine a black kid and a white kid, they're both raised in working class families. Um, is that white kid gonna have more privilege than say Van Brown's son, who is a you know well-off, uh, well-regarded um, media personality? Um, yes, historically speaking, I would say yes, the white kid has more of an advantage simply because remember people, when they see their color, they associated with themselves. So they're biased to themselves. So it's not so much that they're more concerned about that person is that they love themselves. And when they see that person, they see themselves. So this is why racism is so prevalent because white people see themselves. And we have to understand the reason why people implemented African-American month and all of this stuff, simply because when you don't, see or study psychologically what slavery and Jim Crow and everything did to us, it, it destroyed our sense of worth. And therefore, white people remember the whole thing is they never saw us as human. So what this month does, it humanizes us. I wish that we didn't have to have it, but this is an attempt okay. to humanize us. We're going to leave it there. Um, certainly, we would need to probably add in the class conversation and analysis to go deeper on that. This is the lightning round where you get 30 seconds to tell your point of view. <laughs> Are you ready? Uh, well, let's start with you, Dr. Sabrina. Ladies first, 30 seconds. Thank you. I love it. So let me say this. I believe that the thing about entitlement and privilege and ownership and power we have not arrived there yet, especially seeing that we still have to have every so often our voting rights regulated again. They vote again. So we still sit in a place that the possibility of something can be taken away from us. That is not entitlement. Mm. Van Brown, your 30 seconds on this issue. Again, once again, privilege is a matter of perspective. I truly believe that I am privileged simply because there's a spiritual element that there's nothing that I want that I can't attain. And I'll say that to every Black person that I come into contact with, you have the right to receive the privilege that you rightfully deserve, and it will propel you to the success of what you say. I don't care what's out there. Once you decide that you are privileged, you will receive everything John that you want. Thank you. John Miller, your 30 seconds. I would say we as a people, Black people, have grown so entitled. I'll probably get banned somewhere 
for saying that Maxine Waters is dumb, but that just shows you the, the position of privilege that we're in, where you can't even call a politician who is of color uh, not intelligent, which is what people call politicians all the time, simply because we feel entitled to never be insulted, to never have anyone say bad anything bad about us. And I think that kind of illustrates our position of privilege. Instead, we should take advantage of the moment and actually exemplify and show our quote unquote excellent other uh, excellence. Otherwise, we're going to be in the position where people are going to think, okay, we gave them their shot and they blew it. And at this point, every black person okay. who is not in a position that is exceeding is their own fault. Dr. Douglas Flo, 30 seconds from you, please. Yes. Um, I'll just say I, I appreciate John's energy and his, you know, fact that he came on the show <laughs> to talk about this. Um, I would just say that uh, black privilege, the idea of black privilege is not a new concept. Uh, we've heard, we heard conversations about this right after the Civil Rights Act of 1875 was passed during Reconstruction. There were a lot of Southern whites who felt like some of the laws that were set up to help free black people, people who just came out of slavery to set up their lives and live with some measure of equality. Some of those laws were seen as black privilege. Um, they were seen as legal favoritism. But in fact, they were nothing but, uh, you know, statutes that were set up to, to protect the powerless. And, um, you know, obviously things are a bit different, but the dynamic has not simply changed. I don't think we're completely there yet. This is Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. Let's find out what these folks on our panel are up to next. I'm Dominique DePrima. This is Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack, filling in for Tammy Mack today. So much fun and such a privilege. I want to find out more about the great work that our panelists are doing because everybody's got a specialty. Everybody's got some excellent Black excellence going on in their world. So Dr. Sabrina, let's start with you. What is the mission of Mental Health Mondays? Well, Mental Health Mondays, every Monday, I spend some time talking about and giving tips, tools, and strategies on how to keep our mental together. What I help people to understand is that mental health itself is an umbrella. And under that umbrella, you go from mental wellness all the way to mental illness. And on any given day, any of us fall somewhere along that continuum. So I want to help you get more to mental wellness and stay away from mental illness. Mm. And it's more needed than ever, I think, during the pandemic uh, and just all of the issues that seem to be coming out of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, I am known as the people expert. I help people with people, even if that person is themselves, because I say all the time, we think it's somebody else, but it's really <laughs> us in the need of some help. Don Miller, tell us how to keep up with your work and all the various projects you're working on. Sure. So I've got a few projects in the works that I, I can't quite announce yet. Right now, we've got elections coming up. So I'm working with with people in the media and in politics uh, on making sure that the GOP can do its best at that moment. And uh, in terms of following my me and my own work, uh, I was banned from Twitter. So best place right now is probably Instagram, which is official John Miller. That's John J-O-N, no H, official John Miller at Instagram. And uh, I'm on a number of other alternative platforms, but that's probably the best place to find me. I've also got a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Miller spelled the same way. Wait, you're not on Truth Social? I, I am on Truth Social, uh, I, but I think you have to like sign up and then get approved or something. So I don't know if everyone here can, can get on Truth quite yet, unfortunately. All right. By invitation only. Then tell us about your book, Love Symptoms. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, this book was created simply because there's so much misinformation out there about loves. 
And love is the most powerful force on earth, the way we love ourselves, the way we love someone else. This is the cause of racism is the, a self-hatred. So when there's communication about love and how successfully to give it and receive it, it makes all of us better. And so it's not just romanticism, it's family love, individual love, social love. The way love is supposed to be exhibited is a common thought all throughout the different experiences. I feel like that, you know, not just pandemic, but just the polarization in our society and our world right now, it, right. it may sound oversimplistic, but returning to this concept of centering love is super helpful at this moment. Yes. I mean, the lives of, I counsel families, corporate, I even go into corporations and in their human resources, and I teach them how to have better relationships with their coworkers. So this is, we only... We've reduced love to just romanticism, husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, but it's the way we treat everyone. And so vanbrown.com, I'm on all platforms, Instagram, Facebook, mrvanbrown.com. You can buy my book on Amazon uh, or you can go to my website, vanbrown.com. And I'm I'm just grateful and humble of the work that's being exhibited through uh, what we're doing. So I'm excited. Thank you. And Dr. Douglas Flo, talk about your book, Uncontrollable Blackness. What a title. Yes, I'll be quick. Um, yeah, I, I write about African-American men and criminality in, in New York City. It's a book called Uncontrollable Blackness, out in 2020. It's available at Amazon. Uh, you can find me at Douglas Flo on Twitter. And I'm currently in the process of writing another book about those same men around the same period and when they went to prison, what their experiences were like in prison. Uh, and that should be out sometime in the next few years. Now, again, as an historian, you know, do you feel yourself compelled to tell more and more stories, write more and more books as we see this sort of anti-historical wave and even the banning of books and such sweeping our country at the moment? Yeah, um, again, I'll be quick, but I, I think history is extremely important. As I was saying before, some of the ways in which we conceptualize some of our political conversations are ahistorical. And, you know, we have to kind of understand where all of these things came from, where a lot of the things that we see happening right now came from in order to understand what the true uh, solution may be. And um, so, yeah, I I tell a lot of stories about um, the lives of African-Americans in the past. I I find them deep in the crates in the back of the uh, of the archives. And I try to bring them to light um, because I think to truthfully understand what's happening, not only in America, but in, but in the, back, the Black community, is to really kind of lay ourselves down on the therapist's couch and, and you know, talk about our past and, and talk about it in some really uh, candid ways to try to understand what, what's going on and why. We've got a few minutes here. I want to end on an upbeat note because that's what Tammy Mack always does when she's here. And, uh, and also because it's just a good thing to do. We've talked a lot about this idea of Black privilege, whether or not it exists. We have all different kinds of viewpoints. I celebrate the spirit of diversity of opinion in our panel. So I wanna give each of you just a chance to do a quick weigh in on solutions. What, you know, whether you see black privilege as a thing or not, what do you think we ought to be doing to get to that equitable, just, fair uh, and free society that all of us, regardless of our viewpoint are really um, looking for. And I'm gonna start with you, Van, uh, Van Brown. Thank you so much. This is so important. I think we we cannot receive what we don't honor. So we first have to give to ourselves the things that we would want. And so I have to look at myself and say, do I have any inherent bias? Is there anything that is preventing me 
from loving effectively, whether it's in my family, whether it's socially, et cetera, I first have to be the first demonstration and then move towards socially and community-wise. So I start with me, but I don't end with me. I have to be the driving force to say, hey, there's something bigger and greater than me in there. And then I reach for that. Hmm. Dr. Sabrina, the people expert, what does your expertise tell us us people ought to be doing? As people, we need to tap into our humanity. We need to tap into the fact that we were created to be interdependent and not independent. We were created to connect with others. And so we have to learn how to agree to disagree agreeably. Just because I don't agree with you does not mean I have to cancel you. It doesn't mean I have to try and destroy you or derail you. I absolutely may learn something if I open my ears and listen more than I talk. Mm. Amen. Yeah, the, the lost art of listening. Um, John <laughs> Miller, uh, journalist, commentator, what's your commentary on what we ought to be doing to get right? I think regardless of whether you call it privilege, you want to call it excellence, I do kind of believe in the Mickey Mouse vision that there's nothing that we can't do if we don't set our minds to it. I'm looking at the screen now. I see you've got your Emmy behind you. We're all here on television having this great conversation. And so I do, or at least I like to believe that we have opportunity and we have to grasp it. We've got to follow laws. We've got to work hard. Everyone has to do that. And we're no exception as Blacks. And I think if we really just embrace that, uh, there's nothing that we're unable to do. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we've proven time and time again, as Maya Angelou said, still I rise. Dr. Douglas Flo, what do you think we ought to be doing? I mean, you can put it in historical context or take it right to right now. Well, I mean, I, I would have to say first, I'm with Van Brown about love, that love is a very, you know, we need to kind of understand love more expansively than these very kind of individualistic ways in which we, we currently think about it. Um, you know, there's an old Buddhist saying, um, when you take care of yourself, you take care of others. When you take care of others, you take care of yourself. I think that we ultimately need to continue to have conversations like this. We need to be able to disagree with each other, but still respect each other. We need to be able to have an understanding that we live in a country where unless we're planning on drawing a line down the middle and going our separate ways, we need to figure out how to make this work. Uh, and that means trying to respect each other, trying to figure things out. And as you said, you always have to reference our history in order to really figure out the best ways to do that. Yes. Yeah, well, um, this has certainly been an enlightening conversation. If you guys want to find me, I'm at Deprima Radio. It's D-I-P-R-I-M-A. And then radio, whether you believe in privilege or whether you don't believe in privilege, I think it's important to remember to look at things not just from the individual, but from the societal view, where we're looking at how something affects everybody instead of just how it affected me or that one person I heard tweeting or that other person that I saw on Facebook, because we are uh, interdependent, as Dr. Sabrina so well put it. And somehow we're going to have to figure out how to move forward as one whole race. I want to thank Dr. Sabrina, Dr. Flo, John Miller, and Van Brown for joining me today. What a lively and wonderful conversation. I want to thank Tammy Mack for letting me borrow her mic while she took the day off. Thank you so much for watching. Until next time, it's a pleasure to be in your box. 
new on CuriosityStream. With my infrared drone, I can see what others can't. Drone pilot Doug Thrawn uses his bird's eye view for the ultimate good, saving animals from desperate situations around the globe. Join the rescue effort on a new season of Doug to the Rescue. And you captured a Confederate steamboat? We're taking the ship to freedom. An enslaved crew, a stolen vessel, and a Civil War dash to salvation on impossible escapes. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.